as we look at this passage tonight, what I first want us to do is just lay the foundation of where we're at in Jesus' life. We've read one verse out of a whole book as we come to the end of it. So where are we at? Well, the Bible tells us as we start the chapter that where we're at in Jesus' life is Jesus specifically has just risen from the dead. And so we find here that Jesus has lived out his earthly ministry. He's died on the cross. He's been buried. And then three days later, he rises again. And we find these events all the way down through verse number eight taking place and some of the things that took place as some of the women came to the to the tomb and found the stone rolled away and all these different events. Uh, we then continuing down just to kind of outline what we have in this chapter, we find in verses nine uh, through even verses 13 that after Jesus resurrection, Jesus didn't just rise and then go up to heaven. We understand that Jesus was on earth for over a month's time showing forth his resurrected body, identifying that he truly had risen from the dead. As he does this, we find in verses nine through eleven that Jesus, first of all, specifically comes and peers to this one, Mary Magdalene. In verses twelve and thirteen, the Bible tells us as two of his disciples are walking down the way, he appears to them. And Jesus is doing this again over a month's time, showing himself forth. We then come to verse number 14 just before our text, and it really outlines why Jesus would come to verse number 15 and speak what he speaks tonight and what we're going to examine. But we find here that Jesus, after appearing to several different people, he then comes and he appears to his closest followers. We know them as his apostles, his disciples. Maybe we know them as the twelve. Scripture identifies them here as the eleven, and we need to understand that they're identified here as the eleven because Judas, recognizing his betrayal of Jesus, has gone out and hung himself at this point. And so there's eleven of these close followers of Jesus Christ left for Jesus to appear to after his resurrection. As he appears to these eleven men, we can read in verse number 14 that first of all, he has to correct them for some of their unbelief and hardness of heart, the scripture says, because though they heard Jesus multiple times say that he had to die, say that he had to be buried and rise again the third day, they still didn't get it. And so he had to he had to talk to them about that. But then we come to verse number 50 in our text tonight, and we find that Jesus goes from correcting and admonishing to, to then giving one of the last commands that one of the last lessons we could say of discipleship that he would give to these men before he would ascend to heaven. We understand as we quickly just look at the end of verses 19 and 20 that soon after Jesus is going to say verse 15, he is going to ascend into heaven, return to be on the right hand of God until he would come the second time. One of the last things he tells these men in instruction after correcting them for some of their unbelief and hardness of heart is he gives them this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know this command, if we've been in church for any length of time, as the Great Commission. The great command that Jesus gives His church to spread the gospel. And as we consider this command tonight, again, I want to break this command into four different sections of this passage and then bring that application of this thought. Am I obeying the Great Commission as Jesus gave it or as I want to define it? First, notice with me, if you are taking notes or want some sort of outline, notice simply the command here that Jesus is giving. As he starts out, he says, and he said unto them, go ye. The word go there means to journey, to travel, to depart. In other words, if I could put this in a very modern vernacular, Jesus looked at these 11 men and said, listen, guys, I'm about to send you somewhere to do something for me. The word ye personalized this instruction to go. The word ye is a plural form. In other words, Jesus was looking at the 11. He said, go 
ye. That's going to be important to our understanding tonight. But really, we could also say this. The command that Jesus gave was personal. Jesus didn't have these 11 men so that he could train them to be motivational speakers, to bring large crowds so they could teach the five-step formula to how to grow a church or something like that. No, he had a greater intention in mind. He had a personal relationship with them. And as he is about to leave the earth, he looks at them and he calls them to be the example of obeying this command that he would ultimately give to his church. It was a personal command that Jesus gave. But we also must recognize tonight, as much as this was a personal command that Jesus gave, and in its context, Jesus was speaking to 11 men. We understand, even comparing Scripture to Scripture, that there might have been other disciples, of course, at this event. But we can identify in this passage here, Jesus is speaking to 11 men, and he looks at these 11 men and says, Listen, guys, I'm about to send you guys to go do something for me. And it's this personal command. We must also recognize, as much as it was for the 11 This command that we read tonight was not just intended for 11 men. The command that we read tonight in its context, though it was given to 11 men, was simply a starting point of a command that ultimately is to continue through us if we're a believer in Christ. Say, Brother Matt, how do you come to such a conclusion? I mean, if we've grown up in church any length of time, I'm sure we've heard soul winning and sharing the gospel. But how do we come to such a conclusion? Well, just to reiterate this point tonight, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Just laying the foundation here and then we're going to get into this next part. But it says here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, we have this other parallel passage of this account that uh, of Jesus giving this great commission. I love the fact that we have four different gospels. We have four different advantage points. And each one gives us a little bit more detail about Jesus' life and a little bit more about what he says. They don't contradict each other. They simply put the pieces together. And in Matthew chapter 28, in Mark's gospel, it's a very short gospel account. It is the shortest gospel account. He just gets right to things. And so when he gets to the Great Commission, he just says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But in Matthew's gospel, Matthew records for us the very details of the commission that Jesus gave. And in these Gritty details, we could say, we find in verse 16, the 11 are being spoken to. In verse 18, Jesus is the one speaking. So we understand this is the same event. He says these words again in verse 19. Go ye, therefore, and he says this, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. As Jesus gave this command of go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, The specifics of Jesus' command was this. He first looked at them and said, I want to send you out into all nations, into all the world. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But as he gives this command to go into all the world, he first says, I want you to teach all nations. That word teach doesn't just mean to give a head knowledge. The word teach could also be translated as this, to make disciples. As Jesus looked at his 11 men, he called them to go into all nations and make disciples, make followers of Jesus. Now, of course, as we understand Scripture, it is not that these men literally made the disciples. They were simply to go out, preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives, and they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But their job was to go out and make disciples of all nations, proclaiming the message of the gospel, letting the Holy Spirit do His work. Not only were they to make disciples... Of all nations, but then once someone became a disciple, a follower of Christ, we might put it today, they got saved. 
They then were to be baptized in this specific baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, identifying in the transformed life that they had now had through putting their faith in Jesus alone to save them. The reason why we come to this text tonight is this last part of the command that Jesus gave. He said, I want you to go into all nations. I want you to teach them, thus making disciples. I want you to baptize these new disciples. But then I want you to do something else. I want you to teach these new disciples. I'm just going to summarize what Jesus is saying here. I want you to teach these new disciples what I've taught you. There was a lot that Jesus taught. But what we've got to understand is this. This is a logical question we've got to ask. If the command was, go, make disciples, see them baptized, and then teach them what I've taught you. Let's ask this logical question tonight. Would the teach what I've taught you include the process that he had just taught? Think about that. The command was, go, instruct, we could say, teach, make disciples. See them baptized. Teach them what I've taught you. What would have been included in the teach what I've taught you? Go. Instruct. Make disciples. See them baptized. We see this clearly exemplified in the book of Acts. One of the first opportunities these men have to obey this great commission, we find that as they're praying in the upper room, a specific event of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and filling them, at this change of, uh, of the Old Testament to the New Testament, as we understand, uh, th- there's certain identifying factors of the proof of the Holy Spirit working in their life. And we have these cloven tongues of fire coming down and them speaking in tongues. And we understand the speaking of tongues was speaking in a foreign language that other men would have understood. And as they preached one Peter, we understand preaches at this day of Pentecost and 3000 souls are taught the gospel, are instructed in the way of the gospel, and they become disciples. The Bible says this, after they became disciples, a few verses down, it says, those that gladly received his word were then baptized. This baptism that Jesus commanded. But then a few verses later, it says this, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, as much as that would have been the deity of Christ and so forth, as a church doctrinal statement would have had, we understand that this doctrine would have simply been the teachings of Jesus. Now, was it just that they got taught about the deity of Christ and all these things, and that was it? No, we understand that persecution came to this church. They were scattered abroad because of the persecution. But what took place? We understand as we read through the book of Acts and continue through history, that these believers didn't just hold it to themselves. What they had been taught was to take this message of hope and share it with others. And as they did this, Churches were established all over. And it was not just a job of an Apostle Paul or a Peter. Every single member of the active church was actively looking to share their faith with others. My friend, when we consider the command that we're looking at tonight, this is not just a command for the pastor. This is not just a command for the missionary. This is not just a command for somebody that has a special call, we could say, to be a missionary, a church planner. This is a personal command to you this evening. When you read this passage, it is not just go ye 11 men in the Bible, though that might be the context of the passage. We understand the command is far greater than that. It reaches beyond that because these 11 men were simply a starting point, a foundation of a command that was to continue ultimately 
through us. My friend, if you're a believer in Christ tonight, it is a natural product of your salvation. I'm just choosing a word there. Maybe I'm not used to using the best word. But it is a natural process of our salvation that when we understand what God has done for us and the hope that we now have. Remember when you first got saved? And how you couldn't just wait to share that with your relatives. And sometimes maybe you kind of shared it a little too crazy and they thought you were a weirdo because of it. And some of us, we've been in church for so long that we forgot that. We've gotten stale and the truth is we've gotten religious. And the command's not so much personal anymore. We'll give our dollars so somebody else can do it. But this command we look at tonight is a personal command, not only for 11 men, but it's for us if we're a believer in Christ. The command was to continue. It wasn't just for 11 men. It was to continue ultimately through us. But as we consider that, as we consider this command that it is personal to us, if this is for us, then as Jesus looks at us and says, Go ye, the next question would be where? Notice second with me the location. Go ye, it says, into all the world. That word world there is the word cosmos. In context, this would be the circumference of the earth. I want you to notice as Jesus gave this command that when Jesus gave this command, he gave it with no geographical limits. The gospel wasn't just for Israel. It wasn't just for the Eastern Hemisphere or the Western Hemisphere. It was for the entire world. The word all there speaks to the whole, all together, absolutely all, no matter where on this earth, whether it be Hawaii or the Bahamas or China or Africa, No matter how big or small the location may be, no matter how beautiful or ugly the location may be, God calls us to go into all the world. See, Brother Matt, that's a big undertaking. And some of us, I think we get stuck at those words, all the world, because we say, how do I as a limited human being? Doesn't God know I can only be at one place at one time? How do I possibly obey a command to go into all the world? We've got to come back to context. I said the command's personal, but I also said that word ye is plural. When Jesus gave this command, when he gave the Great Commission, Jesus never gave the Great Commission to one sole individual to obey. He gave it initially in this this context to 11 men. He called them to go. And just the same, my friend, as much as he looks at you and says, I want you to go, he calls go ye. Us, his church. He calls each one of us to go. And in personal application, if I can put it in simple terms, when God says, go ye, what he's telling you to do is he's calling you to go where he allows you to go. Because here's the understanding. Did the 11 men that we read of in this passage go all to the same place as God sent them out to preach the gospel? Did they all go to the same place and preach the same message everywhere? No. Read the book of Acts you'll understand that one later named Apostle Paul, you can read the account in the book of Acts, that he would desire to go somewhere to share the gospel message. But the Holy Spirit would hinder him. In other words, God wouldn't let him go there. And to us, we would look at that and say, well, why? He wanted to preach the gospel. Why wouldn't God let him? Well, we've got to remind ourselves continually that God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts higher than our thoughts, and God has a perfect plan in that. And God's going to lead each one of us specific places. God has given 
and bless my family. And I count it a blessing that he has given us the opportunity to serve in Hawaii and to continue to serve in Hawaii. But here's the understanding. Down the road, if God calls me to go to the middle of nowhere, Africa, I better be willing to go. Because the Great Commission isn't just how I want to define it in my little geographical limits. There is no geographical limits to this command of God. Therefore, we should put no geographical limits. That means whether we go somewhere for vacation or for work or just because as a believer in Christ, we ought to always be ready to share our faith with others. My friend, as we consider this, we must recognize the command is personal and the location is all the world in simple application. Wherever God allows you to go, you ought to be ready and willing to share your faith with others. And put no geographical limits in one way to the missionaries you support, but another way to where you're willing to go yourself. My friend, the missionary calls not just for young people, it's for every single person. May we be willing to obey this command personally. Notice thirdly with me, the reason to go. Go ye into all the world for what cause? We've been mentioning it over and over again, but let's see it here. It says, and preach the gospel. Now, we might come to another word here and we might come to question this word for us personally because we say, "Okay, brother Matt, I see the command is personal to me because I'm now a believer in Christ. I'm continuing the message. Okay, I see that all the world doesn't necessarily mean I've got to go to every single place, but rather where God's called me because the command is for all of us to obey. But what about this word preach? And we might look at you might look at me and say, brother Matt, I am not called preach and i get it because you're thinking of what's taking place right here but we've got to understand is when we look at the bible what we cannot do with the bible is we can't just take our presuppositions and read them into the bible the bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved of god and when we study this word preach though we could apply it to what's taking place right here tonight The word preach simply means this, to proclaim as a herald, to publish. Let me simply outline what that means. That word herald, it's a perfect illustration. Anybody know what a herald is? It's that man sent on behalf, oftentimes back in the day, of a king. That king would have a royal message, he would give it to the herald, and that herald's job was to take that message and proclaim it to the kingdom. Great illustration. Many of you probably have Disney Plus now. Is the live action movie Cinderella. You know the guy that announced the ball, the royal ball that the prince was having? That was the herald. In other words, you have the king. He has this royal message. We're going to use this illustration. The ball. He gives that to the herald. The herald goes and, and, you know, sometimes uh, the herald's pictured as some goofy costume type of guy and he rides his horse or whatever. He blows a trumpet. He's getting everybody's attention. He might have some sort of scroll or something like that. And he'll stand in front of the courtyard of a town and he'll say, hear ye, hear ye, the word of the king. There's a royal ball and everybody's invited. That illustration that I've just given you, though the Bible context of a herald might have been slightly different, the application of the illustration still applies. One is sent on behalf of another that has authority and proclaims a message. And that's what this word preach is all about. My friend, every single one of us, according to the meaning of this word, is called to preach. 
What I'm not saying is everybody in here is called to be a pastor. Because there's a difference between the word pastor and the word preach. Not everybody is called to be a pastor. and Not everybody in the room is qualified based on the scripture to be a pastor. That's just the facts. But every single one of us can open the word of God, study and know it, and share it with somebody else. Because here's the greatest illustration of this. God himself, the king of all kings, has given us a message. The gospel. And he's given that to us. He's called us, like that herald, to take that message. Where's the, where's the place we're supposed to go? Well, it's already told. All the world. And we're to take that message and proclaim it. And my friend, may we understand this. Our job is simply to proclaim the message. Was it the herald's job to make sure everybody obeyed the king? It wasn't. His job was to proclaim the message. And just the same, my friend, it is not our responsibility or our burden to bear whether someone receives the gospel message or not. It is our job and we will be judged upon our faithfulness to share the message, not the response. I think so oftentimes we get caught up with well, is that, you know, the people aren't getting saved or whatever. My friend, when you stand before God, you will not give an account for how many people you personally saw prayer, sinner's prayer. You will give an account before God and how faithful you were in sharing the gospel. And my friend, it is the gospel that is to be shared. There's a lot of things in this book that we could share. And for many of us living uh, in a world now that is very much different than the world we grew up in, for some of us, we might sit there tonight and we might wish for a different world and we might even... Maybe like a slogan today, maybe Trump could run on the next slogan, make America moral again. That'd be a great concept, right? But here's the thing. We could make everybody obey a lot of the things the scripture teaches and everybody would still die and go to hell. Because the only message ultimately that transforms lives and hearts is the gospel message. It is what Jesus has done for us. And how that impacts and transforms our life and renews our relationship with our God. We don't have time to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but 1 Corinthians 15 outlines very clearly what the gospel is. It is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And that alone, the scripture says, is our means of salvation. And God has called us to take that message and proclaim it to all the world. But notice lastly... That it's not just all the world, as in a geographical, it's every creature. Notice lastly, the people to be preached to. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Simply put, there is no geographical limits on this command, and there are no people limits on this command. The gospel, Jesus himself, has no racial boundaries. That is a consequence of sin. Every skin tone, every ethnic group. Every in the Bible means each, any, all, the whole, everyone. My friend, that means in our American context that not only is it every single ethnicity, it is not only every single uh, uh, religious group, it is also every single person that might identify in a certain sin. It is every single person regardless of anything that we might put a label on, that they would distinguish them from us and ultimately say we're better than they are. My friend, the gospel is to be preached to everyone. 
That means the Caucasian as much as the Filipino or the Hawaiian, etc. But it also means this. It means the Catholic as much as the so-called Baptist that just uses the name. My friend, it, it means those that identify in their sin as a murderer. But also those that identify in their sin as a liar. And also those that identify in their sin as a homosexual or transgender. The gospel is to be preached to everyone. Because the gospel can change anyone. May we not limit this command by Christ. As we put this into application tonight in close, this is what I want us to consider. I bring you back to that question. Am I obeying the Great Commission as Jesus gave it? Or as I want to define it? Because I believe this is what we do. We limit the Great Commission at times in three ways. First of all, we put a personal limit on this command. Because we'll say, go into all the world, preach the gospel, but we won't do it ourselves. My friend, tonight, you've got you've to, in your own heart and life, I've got to, in my own heart and life, judge myself because I'm just as guilty at times of doing this. We've got to examine our life and say, am I personally going and sharing my faith with others? That's going to look different for everybody. I'm not saying that everybody has to go uh, door knocking at the specific time and place that the church says. I'm saying, are you sharing your faith actively? Or, or is this command not personal? If that's you, I want you to understand tonight, you're not obeying the command as Jesus gave it. If all you're doing is putting money in a plate, God's not satisfied with that. He wants you to be his ambassador, just the same as that missionary. But also what we do is we put a geographical limit. In one way, I'm not saying this church, and I don't believe this church at all. I look at the missionaries you're supporting all over the world. But the reality is there's congregations and there's people that will put a geographical limit. And I've heard it as a missionary to Hawaii to say we only support missionaries to real mission fields. That's a sad reality of that person's perspective. But I think what's even greater is we're not willing to go wherever God would call us to go. We put a geographical limit by saying, God, I'll go anywhere but not there. We've got to take that off. Because we're limiting the command by Christ when we do that. But then what we do is we put a people limit. I think we're all guilty of that. Because the reality is prejudice is not just the problem of a certain race or ethnicity. It is a problem of humankind. We all have prejudice. We have a sin nature. And what we do sometimes is we will say, yes, the gospel is for everybody. For God so loved the world. But not that person. And we might not do that in word, but we do it in action. Because there's people in our life that we've been around, we know, but we've never shared the gospel with them. What we've done is we put a people limit. For some of us, we've grown up in church all our life and there's certain sins that we've heard preached against and they disgust us. And we look at someone that's involved in that sin and we say how wicked they are at the gospel. You know, we basically, in our actions, show that the gospel is not for them. They're already going to hell. I love what Corinthians, though, says. It talks about different sins. Paul speaks to the Corinthian church. He talks about things like homosexuality and murder and so forth. And he says, and such were some of you. But ye are justified. You're sanctified. The gospel can change anybody. 
what we need to do is we need to stop taking this book and stop taking this passage. And really what we almost do is we scratch certain things out and write it the way we want in our way we live. What we need to start doing is obey the Great Commission as Jesus defined it. And if we're not obeying it the way Jesus defined it, then as Romans says, may we present our body a living sacrifice tonight and allow the word of God to transform our mind and renew us to be more like Jesus. Are we willing to do that tonight? Am I willing to do that tonight? I recognize I limit this even as a missionary. May we seek to do this. May we seek to go where God is leading us. For us, that's Maui, Hawaii. May we preach the gospel to every creature. If you're not saved, this means nothing to you until you personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, don't leave here today without knowing how you can receive this gospel message that I've just very briefly shared with you tonight. I'd love to share more about it. How you can have a personal relationship with your Creator. But church, it simply comes down to this. Let's have God's vision for the gospel, not our own.